How am I supposed to preach after that? Oh my, thank you for blessing us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your watch care over us, your children. Father, we are more important than the sparrow. And yet when every sparrow falls, you see it and you care. Father, thank you for caring for us. Father, may we carry that with us this day. And now as we open our eyes to your word, Lord, I pray that you'd give us understanding, Father, that through it we might be more and more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles, please, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we continue our series in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. As you're turning there, we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, verses 10 through 17. 10 through 17. So we'll pick it up at verse 10. As you're turning there, how many of you remember or what the great divide is? Any of you kids? Any of you students here? What is the great divide in, in geography? Does anybody know? See, we all flunked that class, didn't we? we what is it? Mountain range. Yes. Way to go. Give her a hand, Sue. She's, she got it. She passed. Thank you, Sue. Mount, it's, it's a mountain range. This is pretty incredible. A mountain range that you, starts up in the, uh, just south of the Arctic, uh, up in the North Pole. And it runs, a mountain range that runs, and sometimes it gets low, but then it picks up again and gets high. It runs all the way through the, uh, North America, down through South, uh, Central America, and all the way down to South America, right down to the Andes Mountains in Peru. And if you ever want to Google it, you, you will see, you can see a satellite picture of it. It is remarkable. And scientists are baffled by this great divide. It's more towards the West Coast. And the Rockies and the Grand Tetons are part of that great divide. And, and there, are, there are a number of other divides across the country and also in America, but not like this one. The Great Divide. And as I, I was studying on this passage, that's what came to my mind. I had to, had to look into it, The Great Divide. And it's a marvel to science. Now, if you want to know why it's there, um, you will find out that that happened during Noah's Flood. But that would take me down a rabbit trail that I would stay on for a long time. But it, it's quite amazing why that is there, according to the scriptures. But, uh, but as I thought of this great physical divide that we see, which astounds scientists, there's even a greater divide that we 
must understand. And that divide is in the church of God. The divide is found in the church of God and it has been, been ever since the church began in the first century. And so throughout those centuries, church after church, every church has its problems. We know that. But sometimes the greatest problems come when there is division, there's quarreling, there's arguing over even the smallest things. I don't know how many of you came, ever came out of a church split. Maybe everybody. Because you, it's, most people have been a part of one sometime in their life. But it's incredible when you f look at some of the reasons churches argue and divide and actually split and people leave the church. There's actually two churches that had the same name about a mile apart. And uh, they split back about 40 years ago. You know what they split over? Get ready? Fried chicken. Yes, they were having a picnic on the grounds and two ladies who didn't care for each other both brought fried chicken. The preacher, not knowing about this, stopped at one end of the table, grabbed a piece of chicken, and commented, it was the best chicken he ever had. <laughs> well, group number two packed up their things, and within a few weeks, the church split. Can you believe that? And that's a true story. There are other ones. There, you, you will find them. There was a fight over whether or not to build a church, children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. People left the church. A deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and decided to settle it in the parking lot. Yeah. A church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the ladies' restroom. These are some of the things that churches have, have uh, divided over, have argued over, whether it's the carpet, whether it's all kinds of things have, have divided a church. Here's the last one here I'd like to share. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in that, in, in that last church. Crazy stuff. The Apostle Paul got word that the church in Corinth was having major problems. And the problems were that there was a quarreling and division going on. Just like churches today, just like churches back there. People haven't changed. And so that's what we come to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, 17, uh, verse 10. Because now he is going to address the problem of division. Look at verse 10 with me. Paul writes, 
Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there, there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete or perfect in the same mind and in the same judgment. Notice here, Paul lays it all out. He begs them. He urges them. Notice what he says. He calls them brethren. So they're uh, those who are in Christ. He says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's begging them on behalf of Christ because uh, Christ wants unity in his church. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you all agree. This word agree in the Greek literally means to say the same thing, to say the same thing, which means you are agreeing. It doesn't mean that we agree with each other on everything. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on our convictions, that we may each have our own convictions that are not, but uh, none of them are contrary to the word of God. But as you heard, the, heard that saying, we must sometimes agree to disagree. But you know, we can do that in church without being disagreeable and being a person that causes dissension among the brethren and strife. You see, now, of course, when it comes to sound doctrine, those are issues that cannot change. And a church has to remain steadfast upon sound doctrine. And if someone comes in with a different doctrine, uh, then yes, that will split. Some people have to leave the church and it's best if, if there's, uh, there's false teaching in that church. But here we will find that that doesn't seem to be the case in, in the Corinthian church. When Paul says here, let there be no divisions among you. That word divisions in the Greek uh, is schismata. Schismata, that's the Greek word. And from that, we get our English word schism. You've heard of that word before, schism? Now it's spelt with an S-C-H-I-S-M. But, it, but when you pronounce it, you make the K sound, schism. But this is what it literally means, that Greek word schism. When they used it, they used it as talking about something like a piece of fabric or cloth that was torn, that was ripped apart. And once it is torn, what happens if you don't do anything about that tear? The tear will get wider and bigger. And that's exactly what's happened in this church. There were schisms going on. They were tearing each other apart over their preferences, over what, what they thought. And really, most, most divisions in a church and conflicts and schisms 
end up being a problem with pride. It usually comes down to that. And so Paul is trying to say, I hear there, there are some of you that are tearing each other to pieces, you might say, over certain things. And unless a church, like, just like a fabric, is mended, it's, no, it's not going to be of any use. And so Paul didn't want these divisions to continue. And so notice what he says. There he said, but, verse 10, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. He used that phrase to be made complete. That word there in the Greek, those two words in the Greek, literally mean to be, be perfectly joined together. Be perfectly joined together. And it has the idea, this word has been used for fishermen back then, uh, or women who, who made, made clothes, that they, they would mend their nets or mend the tares. And so Paul is saying to the church, church, take a look at yourselves, see that there's division, and begin the mending process, that you may be complete in Christ. And to be com complete here, when he uses that word, made complete, that's speaking of unity in Christ. Notice he says, in the same mind and in the same judgment. So look at, look at verse 11 then, he goes on. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now he mentions a lady's name, Chloe. We don't know who this lady is, but we know that people in her household got together and wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul and cried out to him, telling him of the problems that are going on in the church, the divisions. And so that's how he found out about this, through this letter. And these people in Chloe's house who wrote this letter to Paul, speaking, telling him about this, the problem, they are to be commended. If there is a problem in a church that someone has, what sometimes is the first thing that happens that they do? They tell some, tell, tell others. Yeah. Hey, do you know what I don't like? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. The gossip train starts. And suddenly it's behind the scenes. And suddenly there's division and suddenly these people start taking sides. They're over here and over here. And suddenly um, they, this gets worse until it finally blows like a volcano and the top comes off. And many people didn't even know this was going on. What did the people in Chloe's house do right? They went to the leadership. They went to the apostle Paul. And they brought it to him, the founder of the church. 
And that is exactly what we as, as the uh, members of the church of the living God should do. When we have a problem or we have a disagreement about something or we see divisions or something, a fight between two people and it's getting worse and the best, the most important thing you can do or I can do is bring the problem to the leadership of the church, to the elders, and to, to let them know about it so that it can, they can begin to work on a solution and trying to uh, bring about unity. So here, this dear, uh, these people wrote this letter and told Paul, there's quarrels going on in our church and we can't take it anymore. And so they're, they're having real trouble. Now we come to the reason, which was no doubt in that letter, the reason why there were quarrels and divisions. Verse 12. Look at me at verse 12. Now I mean this, that each one of you, <clears throat> excuse me, each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas. Oh, I am of Christ. Now, doesn't that, that sound more holy when, they, when you say that? And here was the problem. You had basically four groups of people that were taking sides. And it was all over uh, uh, the, the individual who baptized them or brought them to salvation. And basically what they were arguing for or over was, well, basically, if you want to put it in, in modern language, uh, my guy's the best. My, my guy's, and, you know, it's almost like everybody has their favorite preacher on TV. And you, you have some, and you'll tell someone else, oh, you got to listen to this guy. He's the best. And then the other person may tell, say, oh, I don't like him so well. But you should hear my guy, David Jeremiah. And you listen to him. Then the other guy goes, there's no way. Have you heard John MacArthur? Have you listened to him? Man, he's got it down. And, and, and he has spoken to my heart and I'm, you know, and I may rededicate my life through his ministry. And someone else will say, no, it's David Jeremiah. He touched me and changed me. That's what was going on. You had the people that were going around saying, the Apostle Paul saved me and baptized me. Or there were others. Um, I'm of Apollos. He's the one who had an impact on my life and baptized me. And then there was those who, Paul said, I, some said, I am of Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. That's the other name for Peter. So talking about the apostle Peter. There were those standing in Peter's camp saying, oh, he's the best. I'm glad I was, I was baptized by him and I came to salvation through him. Or he's just number one. And then there were those that said, well, we're followers of Christ, you know, and, uh, and so 
we, we don't care about these other men. It's only Christ we follow. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 18 with me. Turn to Acts 18, verse 24. <clears throat> Here is where we find the, the name Apollos, and we find out who this man is, okay? So I want you to understand, when the people in Corinth are saying, I am of Apollos, this basically describes the man that has impacted their lives. Verse 24, Acts 18. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth. By the way, when you think of Alexandria, it was the, Alexandria was the center of learning and philosophy there in Egypt. So he came from a very learned background, an Alexandria by birth, an eloquent man or a learned man came to Ephesus. He was mighty in the scriptures. This guy knew the scriptures. Verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted though only with the baptism of John. He didn't quite understand the new baptism in Christ. Verse 26, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained him the way of God more accurately. Here was a great man that God had raised up, eloquent man, great preacher, an orator, bold in his witness, bold in his preaching, and yet he still needed to learn more spiritually which these, this Christian couple began to teach him so that he would, he would uh, understand more about what he is to preach about, what the message is all about. And so they explained it to him. And then, <clears throat> and then uh, we, we, we go on then, and he, as they look at verse uh, 25 again. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. He'd been instructed in the things of Christ. He'd been fervent in spirit. But now, drop down to verse 27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. For he was powerfully refuted, I'm sorry, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures, that's what every good pastor and preacher should do, demonstrating by the, the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So here is Apollos. And so there were those in the church who are going, take my man, Apollos. Let me read you his credentials. And then uh, there were others who said, the Apostle Paul, he's the guy that, that we promote. And then there were others who said, Peter. 
the ones who probably stood with Peter were um, more devout Jews, perhaps, because Peter, being a Jew, he was sent to the Jews with a gospel message. And he was more, uh, and Peter, being an unlearned man, um, he related more to uh, the common man in the church or the common people. And also, I think, because he was one of the original 12 disciples that walked with Jesus. But then there were those who said, I am of Jesus alone. I don't know how many of you have heard or read of this. Have you ever heard of the red-letter Christians? The red-letter Christians. It's a non-denominational movement within evangelical Christianity. And red-letter refers to New Testament verses and parts of the verses printed in red to indicate the words attributed to Jesus without the use of quotations. The organization was founded by Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne in 2007 with the aim of bringing together evangelicals who believe in the importance of insisting on issues of social justice mentioned by Jesus in red in some translations of the Bible. They believe Christians should be paying attention to Jesus' words and example by promoting biblical values such as social justice issues. These issues include the fight against poverty, defense of peace, building strong families, respecting human rights, and welcoming foreigners. In 2020, the organization has 120 social organizations and partner, partner churches in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Chile. But basically, what many of them do is they say, when they go to the Bible, they'll say, well, I'm going to skip over Paul, Paul's letters. They don't mean anything. Peter's, no, no. Nothing else in the New Testament is important to them, but they just hold to the red lettering, the words of Christ. Now, it's a wonderful thing to do, to hold to the words of Christ and, and to follow through on what he said. Absolutely, to obey his word and his commandments. But to ignore the rest of Scripture, then that leads into all kinds of problems. So, we saw Apollos here. So I just want you to understand the different groups. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so pick it up at verse 13 and let's read 13 through 17. Paul then says, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Who was everybody baptized in? What name? Name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The people were baptized in the name of Christ, not Paul. You see, people were elevating these men uh, even above Jesus, many of them. 
Verse 14, I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Then he says this in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. Paul is making it clear here. He's making it clear. He's saying, stop looking at the man. Stop arguing and quarreling over insignificant things and being puffed up over who you choose to be better than another. But I want there to be unity. And he says, and he's saying, just look at me. What am I concerned with? I'm concerned with preaching the gospel, the message of the cross, the message of the cross. Turn to John chapter 17 with me. And we have just two more passages I want to look at before we close. John 17, verse 20. And the Lord Jesus is speaking here. And this is his high priestly prayer, it's called. That he's praying to his heavenly father in the upper room while the disciples are listening. But he's praying about them. So verse 20. Look what Jesus prays to the Father. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. What's his desire? Look at this, verse 21. That they may be one, unified. That they may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. And that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst sent me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them. What purpose? That they may be one, just as we are one. And then verse 23, I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity. That's exactly what Paul was saying. Complete, perfected in unity, having uh, unity among each other in the church. And he wanted this for his disciples. And what would the unity do? What does the unity in Jonestown Bible Church, when people see that we are unified in Christ and they don't see us fighting against one another, arguing against one another over little things, the things that aren't important, and suddenly there are splits. No, but verse 23, know what he says. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect, uh, be perfected in unity that the world may know that thou didst sent me and thou didst love them even as thou didst love me. 
What is Jesus saying here? That the world may know. That the world may know. That they may know what? That we are his disciples. That we are truly of Christ born again. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you what? Have love one for another. That you might have love one for another. What, this is what our Lord Jesus prayed for his church. And then in closing Colossians 3. If you go over with me to Colossians 3. Paul writes to the church here in Colossae, verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's who each one of us are in Christ. Put on, it's like getting dressed in the morning. Put on these kind of clothes, but these are spiritual clothes, fruits of the Spirit. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against one another, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also. And beyond all these, put on what? Love, which is the perfect bond. Of unity. Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says, Are you wearing the right clothes? Are you wearing the right clothes? The clothes that the Holy Spirit has given you when you were saved? And it's these wonderful fruits of the Spirit that demonstrate that when we are living in the, and, and demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, what happens? The world around us suddenly sees that there's, there's something special about these Christians. There's something special because look how close they are. They act like they're, they're family. And why aren't they arguing with one another? And they get encouraged and they get lifted up and suddenly what happens? The world is drawn to Christ because of our unity. And, and, and our, our uh, uh, love for each other and producing the fruits of the Spirit, ministering to one another that way. Dear friend, if there is someone on your heart right now this morning that you've been having a problem with, maybe someone here in the church or another believer outside the church somewhere, in your own family, would you say, Lord, Change my heart that I might see unity. Oh, they may not agree with you. Doesn't mean you have to change your conviction. But we can hold to our conviction and yet still love one another. And still edify one another and build one another up. And if you're having a problem with someone and you have not truly forgiven them maybe, why don't you do it today? Let's bow for prayer. As we close this morning, as we come before the Lord, dear Christian, perhaps right now,
the Lord is speaking to your heart and showing you that there's a relationship that you need to work on. A relationship that you need to forgive. And you need to seek to have unity and harmony, even though you may disagree. Would you just give it to the Lord right now? Give that person to the Lord and say, Father, give me a forgiving heart and help me to be a unifier, Lord. A unifier in the church, Father, that others may see Christ in me. Make that decision this morning, Christian. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to open your heart and receive the Son of God as your very own Savior. He died for you on that cross, paid the penalty for your sin, shed his blood that you could be forgiven. If you never accepted Christ to save you, would you put your faith and trust in him now? You can pray a simple prayer like this with me now. Just pray quietly in your heart. The prayer itself, saying the words doesn't save you. It's, this is a confession of the faith you have in your heart as you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Pray something like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and you took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today. As my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. With head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you now are a child of God. You've been born again spiritually. And now the Holy Spirit lives within you. And He will help you to produce these fruits of the Spirit that you couldn't really produce before. Because you were doing it in your own strength. Welcome to the family of God. Heavenly Father, impress these truths upon our heart, Father. I thank you for the unity you brought to this dear, uh, beloved family here at Jonestown Bible Church. I pray that the unity would continue. That we would continue to have harmony and love one for another. And Lord, if we have bitterness or resentment towards one another, Lord, I pray that we would come to you, confess it, and ask forgiveness, and then give forgiveness to others. And we thank you for what you will do as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.